Welcome, folks, to my spot up here on the bleachers. I'm glad you stopped by, and as J.D. Clampett would say, come on up and sit a spell. I'm Don Glenn, and this is Talking Sports on the Bleachers. You got to get it done. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Gentlemen, start your engines. Romo on the shotgun here at the snap. Romo looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Brujo for the widespread stance. Arms out over the plate. Bickford from the stretch. The 1 1 pitch. A play, and there it goes! Like it's been a couple of weeks, but I've I had to switch podcast hosts. Uh, I was with uh, Captivate formerly. I'm now with Zencaster, so I'm hoping this uh, partnership works out very well. Uh, a lot of parts have been in motion, so finally I think we're ready to go and get this uh, uh, new chapter started. So, in honor to Mike Shannon, get yourself a tall, cold, frosty Budweiser, and we can get ourselves started. Well, for those of you who are familiar with the show, you know I normally bust it into four parts and and do a little bit of general news, and we'll do a little bit of this, and we'll do some college, and then hit some St. Louis stuff. But today's show is going to be a little cardinal heavy, just because of what's going on and in this past April with the, the way the 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 team played and. Um, 
some different things that have gone on. So we're going to be a little cardinal heavy today. I'm going to have a guest, uh, Daniel Shoptaw from Meet Me at the Musical and Gateway to Baseball Heaven podcast. He's going to be on in a little bit, uh, or a recorded interview I had with him will be. Uh, I do have a little college to pass along. I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, recent NFL draft as it pertains to uh, Missouri and Illinois, and maybe a little try and hit some uh, portal and recruiting news. I know um, Russ and I did not do a, an NCAA report in April. That's because of the transfer portal and all the things that were changing every day. I wanted to wait until that kind of settled down a bit. So we'll get one out here shortly, probably the next couple of weeks, I'm guessing, as soon as we get things together. So, but before we get going, I do want to tell you that Talking Sports on the Bleachers is a proud part of Gateway City Sports. At Gateway City Sports, we try to bring you as much of the bi-state St. Louis sports scene as we can. We cover the pro sports like the Battlehawks, the Blues, the Cardinals, St. Louis City Soccer Club. We try to cover the X, the uh, NCAA exploits of the Missouri Tigers and the Illinois Fighting Illini. But if there's something that you're following and we don't cover it, hey, let us know. Because, you know, we miss things from time to time. We're only human. So give us a call or a shout-out somehow. Let us know that, uh, you know, you want to hear about um, bowling or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll do something about that for you. Uh, also, check out the other podcast. Uh, we've got, for Cardinal fans, you may have a Cub fan in the family or a friend or vice versa. Uh, check out the Team of Rivals podcast with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and some guy named Elliot Dewey whenever he shows up. Uh, for this Cardinal Talk, check out the That's All Winter podcast with Ryan Jenkins and Josh Brown. And if you want Cardinal Talk with a little bit of blues mixed in and maybe just some uh, uh, offhand thoughts, well, give the Mighty Moose Mike Stevenson a listen on his Two for Three podcast. And soon to be making his return to the airwaves is... Derek King with the critically acclaimed Derek King Sports Show. I, I think he's going to call it the same, but he's just he took a break. He's a reorganizing. He'll be back. Also, check out our friends over at Toasted Tavern. Scott Tobin and Wags do a really good job over there. And you can check out Gateway City Sports articles by guys like Russ Robinson and Brian Swope and myself. I even write a few from time to time. Now, what I do here is, you guys know, is I give my opinion. I have thoughts about many different topics. And while there's those who may agree with me, that's fantastic. There's those who disagree with me. Hey, that's fine, too. I like that. But let me know. I mean, I, I really would like to know. I mean, you know, I, I want to know because you guys are the ones that are listening. And I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm addressing what you want you want to hear. You know, uh, I may not say things that you like to hear, <laughs> but uh, I want to know what you want to hear. So, you know, reach out to the show via Gateway City Sports, or you can contact me on Twitter. Uh, I'll have some more uh, ways to get a hold of the show here coming soon. So, uh, you know, you can always uh, re respond to where you listen to podcasts and make comments there. Just let us know, and uh, let me know what you want to hear on this show, and and I will do my best to make sure to get that done for you, okay? All right. So now with that out of the way, let's get this ball rolling along here. So I'm going to start with the uh, interview I did Tuesday with uh, Daniel Shoptaw. Then we'll come back on the back side of that with uh, some other thoughts and uh, comments. 
Joining me via the Gateway City Sports Zoom line is the host of Meet Me at the Mutual and Gateway to Baseball Heaven. The bloggers, he's known as C70 on his blog, C70 at the Bat, and C70's Hacks. Please welcome to the show, Daniel Shoptal. Thanks for bringing me on. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on. Like You're like me. You've you, uh, been a fan of the Cardinals. You, you follow the Cardinals. You report on the Cardinals. And lately, they've had a lot of stuff to report on, but as I was talking with J.D. Hafner a couple weeks, it's all been bad. Yeah, it's been a pretty rough season so far. Um, and not, I mean, to some degree, I mean, if you're, if you're looking for, you know, quote, quote, content, I guess maybe that helps. Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's a lot, of, a lot of different things to talk about, other, you know, when they're going in a bad way like this. But I don't think anybody really wants to go at it this way. Much better to talk about a 17-game winning streak or something like that. Oh, no doubt. Now, we are taping this on May 16th, so they are on a pretty good hot streak right now. I mean, took two out of three from the Cubs. They swept the Red Sox in Boston, mm-hmm. and last night just obliterated, for lack of a better term, 18-1 <laughs> to 1 against the, the Central Division leading Brewers. Now, we know that's not going to, you know, that ain't going to hold up, but can this winning streak hold up? I think there's good reasons to think it would. You know, obviously, Nolan Arenado heating up is a big deal. He hit his fifth uh, home run in a row tonight, or in a home run in five straight games. Having that just kind of makes the offense click a little bit more. Like you said, we saw that last night, put up 10 runs in one inning late in the game. Uh, but yeah, so there's, there's reasons to think they will. Now, there's reasons to think that there's could be trouble keeping it sustained because the pitching staff is still struggling. I mean, it's looking better than it did, but it's still not a staff that is going to go six or seven innings on a regular basis. It's still not a staff that's going to usually put up, you know, one or two runs. We saw great outing from Jack Flaherty last night, and hopefully, you know, maybe we'll see more of that going forward, but it's, it's a staff that's going to give up three or four runs a game, probably at best. And, you know, if the offense is clicking, that's great. If it's not, then it's a problem. True, true. And and I think I said this and for the, about the last I, I seem like a broken record because I've said this for probably the last three years. I look at what they do in the offseason and I look at the pitching staff and I'm saying, Okay, are you guys seeing the same thing I am? You know, Mo, open up your eyes and look at what you got. I mean, two years ago you had guys two two or three guys coming off an injury. You had uh KK coming you know, he they were going to try and make him a, a full-blown starter. And it's like, okay, you're not paying attention to what your team is doing here. And next thing you know, we're, we're down three, two pitchers at the start of the season. And we end up having to call uh, the AARP for help. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. But, uh, and then last year, the same, you know, uh, or two years ago, more the same thing. I mean, it's just, I don't know how much longer they can continue going with what they've got and making adjustments at midseason. And not keeping – I mean, now they did keep Montgomery this time around, but not keeping anybody around that's of any substance. Yeah, I think this offseason is going to – I mean, I don't, want, you know, I don't want to go too far along. We're still just a month, six weeks into the season. But this offseason probably will be an interesting case for that. I mean, we knew going into the season that the staff was a little bit shaky for sure. But you also had five veterans – that were locked into those spots. It was going to be hard to go out and get somebody else without making some sort of move that you don't normally. I mean, you, you can move Stephen Matz to the bullpen, but you signed him for a four-year deal to be a starter. It seems a little early to do that. You, you know, may, maybe you make a trade or something like that. 
And again, some of the pitchers that the Cardinals were at least fans wanted them to be after haven't, you know, have been hurt a lot this year, right? Oh, you know, yeah. So we've not had this, it wouldn't have helped a whole lot anyway. Right. But going into next year, you just have Michaelis uh, with that extension and Matt's. You're, those are the only two guys are, are absolutely for sure. And so I think if they don't go out and get somebody with some strikeout potential next year, at least one mm-hmm. to get that staff, because you could, or you could argue Matthew Libertor is a, a guy that could come up and take a spot. You you may have some other people. I, I'm not real big on Dakota Hudson, but you know maybe that's a guy. But you know I think you have to go out and at least get one big strikeout guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do, then I think that's an indication that they're taking this. They're, they know what they need to do. Yeah, I, I heard I, I saw something very interesting on Twitter. It was, I think it was this today or maybe it was last night. Uh, people were talking about, or maybe I didn't Facebook one or the other. Anyway, they were talking about a possible midseason trade or trading right now, trying to trade Carlson or O'Neill and maybe another you know, like like a, a middle infielder type, like an Edmund or or somebody for Dylan Chase from the White Sox. As much as I like Dylan Chase, I'm not sure he's the answer. Well, it's hard to know for sure if anybody you know is an answer because I think you could use more than one piece. Um, that would definitely be a good start, though. I mean, and, and the White Sox are struggling. I mean, you could also look. I mean, there's been talk about you know maybe a reunion with Lance Lynn or something like that. Yeah, um, which would be probably a lower cost and still upgrade this rotation in theory, but. Again, what do you where are you, where are you going to put them? Uh, I think in season you could probably do it a little bit better. You could move Matt to the bullpen like we saw at the end of last year, mm-hmm. and injuries do happen, of course. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it feels like the Cardinals. I think this is the year where the Cardinals do try to make some sort of move like that. Yeah, I mean, now the the, the of course the other question becomes is that they make that move. Is it going to be like it has been the last five six years? One move and then we're done. I mean, I think that's the one thing people that I've talked to, and mm. you know, I talk about this the guys at Gateway City and we and, and other fans and whatnot. You know, they made the move and they traded for Paul Goldschmidt. I think now I think we did get Adam Miller that same year or Andrew, but you Andrew know, Miller. Mm. Andrew Miller, yeah, excuse me. Um, but then Arenado the next year, no nobody else really. Um, you know, then we get uh, we signed Stephen Matz. Didn't do anything else. Now, granted, in all a couple of those years too, we were re-signing Wayno, we were re-signing Yachty, and things like that. But it's just like they do this one and done, and then they expect us to to loud their proudness, <laughs> so to speak. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, the Goldschmidt and our other moves are huge moves. Oh, I mean, the, the year that they just get Stephen Matz, and yeah, there's there's an argument there, and I. You know, I remember the year that they they got Goldsmith. We were still arguing that they could make a, a play for uh, Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. uh, which I still think is probably one of the situations that they whiffed on. Even with all the outfielded situations we have, Harper feels like a guy that would have just, you know, he was looking for a place to, to set down roots, and he didn't take as much money from the Phillies as we thought they would. I think he would have been a, a huge thing for St. Louis. But, that's you know, if you get him, maybe you don't get Arenado. You, you, there's a lot of what ifs, but yeah, I think that there are times where they have to make multiple moves and it, it just depends, uh, you know, what they use, what kind of talent they use to make a trade. I think this team has enough options to make a trade and then go sign something. Um, but the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals look at their team less in chunks of years 
and more of a of a window. I mean, and then not, window's not even really the right term because they never expect right. that window to close. But they're like, okay, we've improved this team from 2019 to now instead of being, you know, just that one year. They they look at their all overarching moves. I think it's probably why we don't see as much of. They're like they're adding on incrementally instead of thinking they have to do a remodel. Yeah, I can see that point. I can see that point. But, you know, when you look at, and especially this last year's, I think is really what has fans upset mm-hmm. is, you know, Mo's statement before the winter meetings, you know, payroll is going to increase. Right. And everybody's like, oh, good. Now we're going to get somebody. And they go, and right or wrong, they go and grab Contreras. And that's, you know, and they pay him $87 million. Okay. Then they stopped. And the payroll did not. I mean, it may have went up, but not like, fans were expecting mm-hmm. i mean when you say payroll is definitely going to go up you know people are expecting 20 30 million dollar jump not a two or three million dollar jump right right yeah because especially with the cardinals because they don't usually come out and say that right they usually right. come out and say we're going to take all our options open we're going to see what's out there we're going to improve our team but they don't necessarily be out out and out say we're going to spend more money and so when they do that yeah you, you think oh wow they're going to make some sort of big splash you're looking at a you know, they're going to go after a Trey Turner or somebody at the shortstop position because they really felt that that was the, the place where you could spend some money. Um, and they didn't do that. And, yeah, I think payroll probably did go up. By, but like you said, it was, a, it was a technical thing. It was uh, two, three million dollars because they count all of all, all of Wainwright's thing. But some of that's deferred. So, you know, you, however you want to play the accounting game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that was a little bit surprising to me. And then I think the Cardinals may have had a little bit more intention of doing some stuff that just never panned out for them. They they got scared off from some things maybe a little bit faster than they should have. Do you think maybe they spit, because, you know, and here, here's another thing where I think Mosellet got himself into trouble was right before the winter meetings, we're going to come out of there with a catcher. Did he box himself into a corner and have to panic just for, because the Contreras, deal almost seems like a panic move because the Sean Murphy deal wasn't mm-hmm. coming coming out really well. They weren't yeah. getting any kind of traction with Toronto. And I'm not saying they settled for Contreras in any way. That's not my 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 point. Mm-hmm. My, is but did they rush to sign him because they were afraid these tr- uh, of leaving the winter meetings and not doing what they said? I mean Mo doesn't strike me as that kind, but yeah. I think more than anything he said that because he knew one of those options was going to happen. I don't okay. think he. I don't think he signs Contreras just to say we kept our word, um, because yeah, I think he's oftentimes could easily said, well, we were going to, we got in on this, but you know, the market didn't happen. I think yeah. he just knew going into winter meetings that the Murphy deal was probably pretty close, um, but they'd already talked to Contreras and felt pretty good about being able to pivot to him pretty because they knew he was interested, they were interested in him. So they felt like one one way or another, they were going to get one of those things done. Okay, of what we've seen so far this year, and I, I, I got my top two picks of who's impressed me the most. Who's impressed you the most so far? That's a good question. I've got to say I'm surprised, very surprised still that about Paul DeYoung mm. um, because I did not expect that to be anything like we've seen so far. And there's obviously – it's still kind of early in this, you know, he was hurt. He came back, but it's long enough now that it really feels like this swing change that he's doing um, and his approach 
is different and it makes for a, an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, let's see. I'm trying to think. Of course, obviously nobody in the starting pitching staff. Um, <laughs> I think that's pretty, pretty fun. Early on, it was Drew Verhagen, but I think Chris Stratton has been a little, you know, mm-hmm. it goes flies under the radar, but, you know, you need that guy that could come in in the sixth or seventh inning of whatever game and just keep it there. And he's done that this year. Um, you know, obviously, Nolan is Nolan and, and Goldie is Goldie. And I've liked what we've seen out of Contreras over the last week, but um, you kind of have high expectations for those guys. I, Who are yours? Th- he wasn't much of a surprise, but I have been impressed with the way it's happened. Mm-hmm. And and that's Nolan Gorman. Mm, yeah. That's yeah. my number one. Yeah. Uh, because, I, you know, people were saying, well, he, he stunk last year. We should trade him while he still got value. I'm like, wait a minute, guys, pay attention and look at his minor league stats. Every year that he got moved up, he struggled that first year, only to come back the next year and, and wipe out the world with. Him. I'm like, okay, I'm expect. I, now I'm not. I did not expect to see him doing what he's doing right now. I mean, you know, he's yeah. he's a he's a one man wrecking crew right now. <laughs> you know, uh, obviously Arenado's catching up to him, but <laughs> but uh, but he's done he's done just a fantastic to me, a fantastic and you know dealing with the movement back and forth. I mean, Day's not yeah. playing. He's playing second, and you know, and I think he's handled it very well. The other guy, and I, I'm going to have to echo you on the Paul DeYoung, because I really think, like you said, I think that swing change is something. Now, like again, we're, we're talking a small sample size right now. Right. But if you look at what he's doing at the plate, last year, he w- I, it looked like he didn't have a clue what he was swinging at. It looked like he could not recognize a pitch to save his behind. Mm-hmm. And this year, it just seems like he's more focused on the pitch. I think getting rid of that high leg kick, I think that help, has helped him a bunch. I'm interested to see if it keeps going. I, I, I was having a running uh, conversation with a guy on Twitter who's saying, you know, we, this team's going nowhere without Edmund at shortstop. And I'm like, uh, you know, you may say that, but right now you got to play the guys that are producing. And at least at this point in time, DeYoung, now Edmund did have a really good night last night. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, so I think those two, for me, if I had to pick a pitcher, I think I'm going to go with yours and say Stratton, although Gallegos was very, has been very impressive at the first start. He's kind of tailed back a little bit and he's kind yeah. of fallen back, but he was very good at the start of the season. And I think it's fair to say, you know, a guy like Ryan Helsley comes out of, no, not I don't say out of nowhere, cause, but he really stepped onto the stage last year. And those okay. kind of guys don't always follow that up well, real well, but he has so far. Um, he's, been just about what we would expect it to be and mm-hmm. you know relievers are so volatile so if you can get two good years in a row out of a guy that that really says something well yeah and it's, and, and i think the one thing that hurts helsley as far as being a, a a a lockdown closer if you will is we haven't really had the support for him in that seventh eighth inning role mm-hmm. you know where you've got somebody that can come in and keep the other team down you know he's he's come in he's had to to come in some tough, uh, what was it, uh, a week or two ago, they brought him in in the seventh inning. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think until we can get some guys that are going to be, I don't want to say trust, we can trust more, but that can prove that they can go out there and get the job done, you may see Helsley struggle a little bit more. But I think he's got the kind of stuff that is the makings of a good closer or at least a good shutdown guy. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. 
We'll continue my interview with uh, Dan Shopton in a minute. Uh, but I want to talk to you in a minute about uh, car buying and stress-free car buying. At Fifth Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, they want to make your car buying experience less stressful. They'll help you find the vehicle you need no matter what brand. That's because at Fifth Street Motors, they believe in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. Check out what stress-free car buying can be. Give Brandon or Don a call today, 573-259-1306, and tell them Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. All right, continuing our talk with Daniel Shoptaw. Okay, uh, we, we've danced around it, and I think don't think we can dance around it anymore. What is this debacle with players? I mean, first it was Tyler O'Neill. Now it's been Wilson Contreras. Who's next, and what's causing all this? It's a good question. It's a it's a front office that now I will say this front office has always had a little bit of communication issues. I talked about this a little bit on I think it was either Mutual or Gateway this week, but in the past I I still remember talking about how the players kind of found some of them at least found out about the Alan Craig John Lackey trade, you know, on TV. Uh didn't didn't find out through the the front office, you know, they didn't make it as much of effort. There's always been some sort of communication issues, and at some point in time, you know, maybe that goes to John Mazalock and how he approaches things. I don't know. But, you know, this has obviously been something a little bit different than that. This has been more public than we've seen out of the, out of the club. The Tyler O'Neill thing didn't surprise me, too. I mean, that seems okay. That's a, That was one of those one-day things, and it shouldn't have probably happened that way, but okay. But the Contreras thing, that was weird, and that may have been a bit of a flailing around trying to figure out what to do um, with a team that was struggling. And, you know, for all of its flaws, and it has a lot, and I don't know that we can tie these resurgence of this team to that, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they've played better baseball since that happened. And maybe that's just a rally around a Contreras type of thing. We, You know, this was a kind of the wake-up call that some people needed. I don't know, but um, I don't think the front office designed it like that uh, if if it had worked out. I don't. I don't know. I, it seems very, very strange. What are you thinking on that? Well, when first came out that they were, you know, that that he was being moved and going to play some outfield, and my, my first, my first thought was, okay, uh, Ollie, what in the devil have you been smoking? <laughs> yeah, you know, you've already got four outfielders plus Yepes plus Donovan, and they're going to throw a, another one. It, it, you know, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need that many outfielders, you know. And then it was like, okay. You spent $87 million or a contract of $87 million for a guy who, and, and I, I pointed this out when they first signed him, he's never caught over 100 games in a year as a, as a yeah. frontline catcher. Never. You know, mm-hmm. so you're already suspect at signing that kind of a guy as your number one catcher. And now, one month into the season, you're going to take him away from catching and bring up. And it's, that, to me, that was the slap in the face to Contreras. And, you know, is okay. They're going to take him out of being the frontline catcher. That I can maybe understand, but to completely remove him from catching and bring up a Triple A guy to be the backup. I mean, I, to me, that almost sm- smelled like the philosophical differences with Schilt, if you will. Yeah, um, because especially the way they explained it, we need we need Wilson to be comfortable with the internal workings of how we do things. Okay, he is your catcher for crying out loud. What internal does he need to know about? It's him and the pitcher. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't look too much into the the AAA, you know, bring up Tres Brea because I, you know, if you if you notice the day before that they did this move, 
you know, Contreras is DHing. They they pinch hit for Kisner in the eighth inning, which when they did that, Contreras had to then slide back to catcher and they lost their DH, which it didn't matter in that situation because it was the top of the ninth. They were, you know, whatever. I think they just they wanted to have that option to be able to pinch hit for Kisner without losing their DH. So mm-hmm. that that part I okay. But yeah, I think that the idea that you're back and taking him out and, and so publicly. I mean, you could have probably let him DH for three or four days. Oh, they did to some degree. Um, but they could have probably let him DH for a few days, let him catch a day, DH a couple more days. And people might not have even noticed. Maybe a couple of questions about, wow, why is he DHing so much? But nobody would have given it a second thought, really, right. until you go out and say, hey, he's not going to do this. Then I don't know if they didn't expect the firestorm that they were going to get. I don't know if they just didn't read the room at all or... I mean, it, it almost has to be that, right? Because they, if they knew the the, the blowback they were going to get, I think they'd have done it a little bit better. Oh, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I don't think they really expected the blowback. And I think what really caused it all was if they were going to do something like it, it what it should have been done, I think the announcement probably should have come from Mo first and where he said, we're just going to take a step back so he can we can figure some things out. We've got to, you know, because of this or that. Instead of Ollie saying, we're going to remove him as catcher and he's going to probably be the DH and, and play some outfield. I mean, you saw how quickly Mo had to jump in and say, no, 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 he's not playing the outfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I think, I, I, I agree. I think between Ollie and Mo, they didn't communicate how they were going to handle it very well. And I think they just figured that, okay, it'll blow over. And it when it didn't blow over and they got so much, because uh, they were getting it nationally. I mean, who was it? The guy from the athletic, I can't think of his name now off the top of my head. Uh, you have Rosenthal over there. Rosenthal, yeah. yeah. Rosenthal, I think mean, John Denton even wrote about it, you know, calling him out. I'm like, what are you doing? You're only thir- three, a month into the season and you're panicking with your, with your you know, your free agent catcher? I, I just I just didn't quite understand all of it. And, you know, like yeah. I said, hopefully, you know, now, now that he's back catching, I think maybe, maybe it'll die down. We'll see what happens. But I think they also figured out that, it wasn't the catcher. Then it was the pitching staff. You know, yeah. Because the, the ERAs didn't really change that much. No, no. Things have, I mean, they've won on the, the back of the offense more than anything the last oh, yeah. little bit. Um, I will say, though, if the Cardinals truly did think that there was an issue, for right or wrong, mm-hmm. it's good that they took care of it now, right? I mean, you don't want him right. If if there's if it's a situation, and again, we can argue about whether this is the right way to do it or whatever. But the, the fact is, they saw an issue and they addressed it early instead of letting it fester for the rest of the year or two years into this contract. So there is that. I I still don't think I would gone about it the way they did. I don't think that necessarily it was the right thing. But I have to give them credit for at least trying to address a problem that they saw and not letting it. Because I mean, there have been times, right? We've seen that. The Cardinals, uh, you know, oh, we've talked about it before. They need pitching. They need pitching. They need pitching. And all of a sudden, it's July 30th, and they're yeah. getting the pitching, you know. Um, instead of waiting, you know, till next spring training and saying, okay, Wilson, you you know, you just didn't catch the way we wanted you to, they, they tried to do it now. Thankfully, it was just a, a short week span. We won't see it. But it's also the fact that Yadier Molina did more than the average catcher. Uh, he did more than any catcher, pretty much. And it very well may be that they're just trying to figure out how to adjust to not having Yachty and what that means in terms of preparation and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you're going to have a catcher you can fill in for Yachty, but you're not going to have a catcher that can be Yachty. I mean, right. there's 
there's just, you know, he's he's one of the greats in the game. Move on to another, what I consider strange, Jordan Walker. What was he doing so bad that he had to be sent down? Well, I think in Walker's case, and I think there's, I you know, I was arguing that no matter how good his spring was, they probably shouldn't have brought him north. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that still is a fair point. Um, but I think in Walker's case, one, it wasn't about him. It was about clearing up that log jam in the outfield right. um, and getting some people's, you know, taking out of an outfielder and getting a little bit more consistency out of everybody else. But it was also about, you know, getting that, you know, getting him to hit the ball in the air a little bit more, right? I mean, he was hitting a lot of ground balls, uh, beating a lot of them out because he was hitting them so hard. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think they, you know, just tinker with it a little bit. I kind of thought we might see him back by now because my thought was when they sent him down, they were also going to make a trade in a couple of weeks of an outfielder and then have a spot for him to come back up. Now, Tyler Neal's been hurt and he has not necessarily hit. I haven't looked at him recently. I know he was starting to come around at Memphis, but um, you know, he, he's kind of finding his way down there. I'm not going to say he's struggling, but you know, the the numbers aren't there yet. So it's, it's fair. I I think it's fair for him to spend some time at AAA. I mean, the guy's never been there before and he's, what, 20. So I think that's, that's a fair thing. I just think the Cardinals would have been better off if they had just sent him there to start with instead of, you know, raising expectations a little bit on him. Well, yeah, because, you know, like a lot of people said, and I said it, I said, you know, that I wasn't sure if he was coming north or not. I said, but I'm going to tell you this, if he comes north, he's going to be starting because you're not mm-hmm. going to bring a kid right. like that north and not start it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all the way to ways. I had one guy blow back on me saying, well, what about Burleson? And I'm like, uh, and I really didn't see Burleson making the club either. And I'm still not sure he's, he doesn't need to be down in AAA right now. But with the outfield we've got, we don't really have many options right now because mm-hmm. the new bar is about the only one playing any good outfield. Yeah, Carlson's playing well when he's out there, but, you know, out tonight with the, the ankle Max injury Bathroom. and stuff like that. Yeah, that was the ankle, ankle, from, ankle. Boston, from Boston. That's so, right, yeah. Uh, O'Neal's, so O'Neal's got back spasms. Yeah, yeah, O'Neal's out with his back. Um, yeah, I think that I think it's I could I easily see a situation where if Walker starts to you know, put together you know a week or two of of good results at Memphis and has the hitting profile that the Cardinals are looking for, I could easily see them swap at him and Burleson uh, yeah. for a little bit of time. I mean, Burleson's still got plenty of options and stuff like that, and I know they well, like yeah, unless, unless unless of course O'Neill or, or Carlson ended up on the IL. Right, right, and then that's a, a situation as well where where he could come up. But um, you know, I know that they like Burleson, and I know that he's got a lot of the under, underlying metrics that work for him. How hard he hits the ball and stuff like that. It just hasn't necessarily translated completely yet, and it, maybe it will in time. Yeah. We'll see. But I, it would not hurt him to have some time down in Memphis either. Yeah, well, I've been kind of very intrigued with these kids that are coming out of AAA or well, the minors right now, and how hard I mean Walker Burleson. Mm-hmm. That ball is smoking coming off their backs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what are they te- what are they teaching down there? They're not teaching up here. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, honestly though, I mean, you know, for all the grief that he got while he was here, the, the part of Jeff Albert's portfolio as a hitting coach was to revamp the minor leagues right. and to get them all in the same place. And so it's a lot easier for you to take these guys that are sixteen or seventeen or eighteen and, and start them out early on that path. Right. And as they move up the thing, they're hitting. Um, you know, when you're in the major leagues, I mean, one, you, yeah, I mean, we've obviously got some guys that hit, they're hitting the ball hard and stuff like that, but they're also a little bit harder to to mold into that if that's not the way that they've been doing it for you know, five, six, seven, eight years. Okay. 
talk about a couple of minor league players that have been outside of Walker that have been uh, on people's minds. A lot of people are making big noise about uh, Luke and Baker and you know, what he's doing down there. You know, much like what Gomez did last year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's not coming up. We've already got a first baseman that I don't think you're going to replace an MVP with a with a rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, stranger things have happened. But but do you see him as as a mid? If he continues with this, do you see him as a mid season trade piece? I think I do. Um, the problem is, and I talked to Kyle Reese, who, of course, everybody knows knows oh, yes. everything about the minors and then some. Uh, he was uh, guest hosted on Mutual with me this week, and we talked about Luke and Baker. And, you know, his point is a lot of organizations have a guy like that, a slugging first baseman. Um, and so they may not be as valuable of a chip as we might think. That said, though, yeah, I mean, I think that unless there's an injury, you know, someplace he could probably go and play either first base or DH or somebody. Get, you know, are you is he going to be? Can you trade him for much? No. Can you put him as part of a package? Maybe. I, I do think that at some point in time he's probably going to have to go to an organization that has a clearer path on the you know first base DH spot because yeah, it's it's really hard to see how the Cardinals you know, again barring injury and knock on all sorts of wood can uh can find a place for him. Mason Wynn. I mean, gosh. With all the logjam we have right now, with you've got Donovan Complacer, you've got Edmund, you've got DeYoung, who leaves to make room for win? Well, I, I mean, I, I love me some Mason Wynn. Don't, don't get me wrong, because I think he's. Well, I'm talking about. He's my I'm not talking. Now, I'm talking maybe next year. I don't. Yeah, think I he's, say, he's, he's, he's not coming up this year. No. Um, DeYoung is even with his improvement, it's still a little bit hard for me to imagine that the Cardinals pick up those options. Oh, it's yeah. not it's not impossible. Like you know, beginning of the year, I would have said, "No, this isn't happening." Now it's a possibility. Uh, the, the options aren't just you know completely out crazy. If he's hitting more like he's going to hit, still small sample size. It's hard to say. Assuming he's not there, yeah, I think you probably shift Edmund over and let Wynn play. But then, yeah, what do you do with Donovan? How often does he get on the field? You know, Gorman then is pretty much almost limited to DH on a regular basis. The um, second base, maybe sometimes a third yeah. if you're really getting a pinch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, those days, that those four days a year that Nolan does, Nolan Arnado doesn't play. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, could you see something this offseason that moves somebody like a Donovan? Uh, maybe. I, I have a I have a problem imagining that Tommy Edmund is as valuable to anybody else as he is to the Cardinals. He's one right. of those guys that I feel like he fits in St. Louis, but I don't know that anybody's just going to go out and be actively trading for him. That said, you know, he is a gold glove kind of guy. He's, you know, hit for three or four years now, and it could be that some somebody would like to plug him into a, a spot. But well, And he's uh, versatile. I mean, he can play mm-hmm, short, mm-hmm. he can play third, he can play second, he can play corner outfield. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a guy that can play all over, much like Donovan is. Yeah, I mean, know? both of those guys have a, a lot of – a lot of things that go for them, but it, they're also not the things that they have go for them. Aren't the things that necessarily bring a lot back in trade? Uh, oh yeah, know, they're they're going to be part of a package for sure. Right, right. Yeah, I mean either um, that either that or you're going to grab prospects for them. One or the other. Right. Yeah, but I I think that yeah I think DeYoung has to go, and then you know like I said probably one of those guys gets moved in some sort of deal. I think unless something really strange happens, Mason Wynn is probably your starting. Uh, shortstop next year. Yeah, that, I, I've kind of said the same thing in a couple of different places. I've said that, you know, there were talks about DeYoung or, or Edmund or Donovan. And I'm like, you know, you guys might as well just 
quit talking about him this year because next year ain't ain't none of the three of them starting a shortstop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Mason Wynn because I, from what I understand, he's he's destroying the ball down in in Triple uh, A and actually putting it, putting a few balls over the wall more than he than he has. Be you know, we've heard a lot about over the last couple of years, uh, Libertor, and you mentioned him earlier. Is he ready? I I mean I don't see why not. You know he obviously pitched some for the Cardinals last year and kind of struggled. Uh, kind of was kind of mediocre, if you will. But he's picked up you know speed on his fastball. He's putting it all together in Memphis, and it's a low bar right now, right? I mean, you know, if, <laughs> that's true. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I have been surprised that again the rotation has stabilized a little bit, or it feels like, maybe it just feels like that because they're winning ballgames, but right. um, it feels a little bit better than it did earlier on, but I, I'm still a little bit surprised that he hasn't taken over, like, at least gotten a spot start or something like that. Uh, yeah. You know, he's got a, a 313 ERA in Memphis with uh, 56 strikeouts and 46 innings, and that's the kind of stuff, that, that kind of strikeout potential that nobody else in that starting rotation has. And so, right. except, you know, again, Flaherty on a good day, you can get some of that. But I, I just, I think that soon, at some point in time, he'll get hit that up here, whether it's somebody getting hurt or, yeah. or something that has happened, he'll get a, he'll get a shot again. And if he runs with it, he, he'll probably lock down a good rotation spot for the rest of the year. Okay. Sounds good to me. Hey, one final thing, and then I'm going to let you go. What are your what is your vision and what is your reality for going forward for the Cardinals this year? I mean, you go into today, the Cardinals are are what six and a half out from the the Brewers and yeah, something like that. four and a half out of the last wild card spot. Right. <clears throat> Although trailing right now as we as we record this, so that may add a game to that. I still think it's very feasible that this team puts together enough of a run that they can be a playoff team. I don't think that's unrealistic. Maybe it is, but winning what six or seven or whatever they're at right now has improved their standing quite a bit. I mean, when they were 10 games out, then you started to start to write off the season and stuff like that. But the good thing is, you know, the pirates came back to earth and the division's not that great. I think that if the Cardinals can shore up the pitching somewhere along the way, and hopefully to do that before, the last day of the, before the trading deadline, I don't think it's out of the question to see them even still winning the division. I tend to agree, and, and I'm like you. I think it's it's going to have to come down to how the starting pitching progresses from here. And like I said, we've seen two good back-to-back games with, with Michaelis and Flaherty. Flaherty looked outstanding last night. Uh, well, after the first inning, he kind of struggled right, a little bit. Right. But, you know, after that, he looked outstanding. Michaelis... I don't know how you go through seven, you know, what he went through and not strike out a batter and still come <laughs> up with the win, but he managed to do it. I think Matz has had games where he's gone three, four, five, three or four innings where he's looked good, and then all of a sudden he has that one inning, he just blows up. Yeah. And Montgomery, Montgomery's probably been the steadiest of all of them, uh, to be mm-hmm. honest. And, and I kind of look for that to continue. But yeah, they're going to need some help. Somebody's going to have to stay hot, stay healthy like they've been to add to Montgomery being consistent. And then, like I said, hopefully before the deadline and sometime in June, we actually pick up a pitcher instead of waiting until July, you know, or like I said, or Libertor comes up and they give him the ball and let him run with it. I think the division is within reach still. Talk to me in 30 days. I might change my mind, but (laughs) Hey, Daniel, it has been fun having you on. Going to have to do this again for sure. Again, you are the host of, Meet Me Mutual and Gateway to Baseball Heaven. You can find those 
wherever you find podcasts, most likely. You can find me on Twitter at C70. I write, although not as much as I used to, at uh, either partsconclave.com or cardinal70.substack.com. So uh, one, of, one of the two places, I just, you know, we'll throw something up every once in a while, just not as consistent as I used to. Daniel, uh, again, thank you much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. We will definitely have to do this again sometime down the road. Yep. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Daniel Shoptaw, C70, as he's known to bloggers. Uh, <clears throat> that was done earlier this week. I'm sorry I wanted to get this out earlier in the week, but uh, uh, been a little busy, but putting new floor in a basement and doing some things outside and got the last couple of days been just too busy or uh, busy and not feeling well, but uh, we're going to get this out today. So anyway, uh, we're going to continue on. Um, Let's take a break from baseball a little bit. We'll talk a little bit NCAA right now. Uh, I know my uh, NCAA report co-host and I, uh, Russ Robinson, didn't get a report out in April. But uh, there's a reason for that, and that's because uh, the, with all the portal action and everything that was going on, I think we just uh, we felt we wanted to make sure we had all the information we could get when we get the portals closed first. So probably sometime in the next couple of weeks we'll get something out there about that, uh, get our, our report out, and we'll get a, a portal on both football, basketball, do some recruiting talk. We'll just have a little bit of fun with that. Uh, some interesting facts, though, I did I did want to hit on. Um, in the recent NFL draft, uh, Illinois did very well. Uh, four players drafted, uh, including the number five overall pick in Devon Witherspoon. Uh, Chase and Sidney Brown uh, both were drafted. Um, Sidney in the third, Chase in the fifth. Uh, they are the ninth set of twins to be selected in the draft and only the third set to be drafted in the first five rounds, which I think is pretty pretty cool if you ask me. Um, Witherspoon was the seventh first round pick for Bielema. Chase Brown was his 11th running back to be drafted. So he's done pretty well over the years in draft, uh, or as far as players being drafted. Uh, now, as for the team itself, they brought in, uh, they've also had a few uh, uh, sign ons, uh, uh, undrafted uh, free agents that signed too. I think. Uh, uh, oh, Tommy DeVito. Uh, and a couple of the guys I know were, were drafted or were signed to undrafted free agent contracts. Um, now, as the team itself, as they've lost people, they're bringing in people. They've already signed, got 12 freshmen enrolled, including four-star recruit Caden Feagan from nearby Arthur, Hars Arthur High School. Uh, he's listed as a 6'3", 220-pound, multi-positional player who's played some uh, uh, running backs and wide receivers, some linebacker. Uh, maybe in a little, and in a little bit of safety. Uh, so he's one of these uh, what they call athlete positions where you're just going to see what he fits best in in college. Um, they say he does look more comfortable on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, now they've got also 11 letters of intent signed, which in two, includes four-star recruits uh, Malik Elzey, a 6'2", 204-pound wide receiver from Simeon High School in Chicago. Um, could be a big red zone threat. And uh, is listed as probably his better positions like split end or the slot. Uh, they also picked up uh, an, a, a letter from Sabor Karim, uh, another wide receiver slash safety, plays both sides of the ball from Orange, New Jersey, 6'3", 180. Um, 
He's better suited, they say, for the defensive side, but does show good hands. And while he's not really a speed burner, he is kind of elusive. So that could be his advantage maybe uh, as a two-way player in college. Uh, five incoming transfers. The biggest one and the headliner of all this is quarterback Luke Altmyer, uh, 6'2", 190 from Ole Miss. He's been a backup the last few years for the Rebels. He's filled in as a freshman in the 21 Sugar Bowl after Matt Corral was injured. Um, he didn't do great. I mean, 15 of 20, 874 yards, a touchdown, two picks. But again, he related to the backup role last year. Um, 8 of 17, 125 yards, two TDs, one pick. But he did have a 135.9 passer rating. Um, and he's already impressed Bielema in the spring drills. He's up already. He's impressed the coaching staff. And he right now is the odds-on favor to start uh, in Illinois' first game versus Toledo on September 2nd. And he's also helped in recruiting his uh, 2024 commit Trey Petty from Starkville, Mississippi, which is Altmyer's hometown, has committed to Illinois uh, for 2024, as I said. Uh, he said, uh, uh, Petty said uh, of Altmyer, he said, he likes it up there, so I know I would. So, you know, he's already picked up some dividends. Um, also on Mother's Day, uh, Illinois picked up a... a Pretty good commit for 2024 as a Demetrius Hill, a six or is it 23? Excuse me, Demetrius Hill, a six-two, 190-pound defensive back from Florida International. He had 95 tackles. The strange part is only three and a half tackles for loss. He figured he might be blitzing more, but uh, uh, but he did force three fumbles, no picks, at least from what I can see uh, last year. Um, so he was a, but he was named to the FWAA All-American freshman team. So a couple good pickups for Illinois in that respect. Uh, going to basketball, Brad Underwood and the basketball team have made use of the uh, transfer portal uh, to plug some holes left by departures of uh, Sky Clark, R.J. Melendez, Jaden Epps, uh, and also reserves Brandon Lieb and Connor Servan. And still, they are unknown with the status of Coleman Hawkins and Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, I been kind of following that a little bit and Terrence Shannon is probably still 50-50 on whether he's going to be going uh, continuing with the NBA draft because they're going through the combines uh, Hawkins did not quite have as good I mean he was impressive in some respects but not quite as good as, as uh, Shannon um, common feeling is that uh, Illinois could get both of them back because they did not enter the transfer portal and the portal's closed now so if they do not go to the draft their only option is either to go to Europe or come back to Illinois and I and both have expressed the interest that uh, you know if coming back is uh, what they're going to is uh, in their future that's what they're going to do so uh, it's very possible we both I think if I had to bet I think I would bet that we're going to get Hawkins back uh, for sure and Shannon, like I said, I think he's 50-50. Um, now, the, they did pick up, as I said, in the portal. Uh, Underwood did. He went there, and he picked up, uh, along with two incoming four-star freshmen in uh, 6'8", uh, 225 power forward Amari Hansberry and 6'1", combo guard Dre Gibbs-Lawhorn. Um, that now gives... Underwood, nine four-star recruits or more or better, four-star or better recruits in the last three seasons. 
That's just phenomenal. I mean, that's 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 telling you your recruiting is good right there. Um, as far as the transfer portal flow, like I said, for Illinois, they picked up 6'6", 250-pound Marcus Damask from SIU. A really good score. I think he scored about 17 points a game for SIU. Uh, good outside shooter. Uh, can I think a decent ball handler. I think he'll be able to help uh, re- uh, relieve some of the loss of Melendez, because I, I do think Melendez was probably a better outside shooter than what people saw. Um, they also picked up 6'9", 190-pound Quincy Guerriere from Oregon. Another one who's, uh, he's going to be more of a, of a he's kind of like a, Sh- a Terrence Shan. He can do the inside, he can drive, he can play a little outside. And then they also picked up 6'4", 190-pound combo guard Justin Harmon from uh, Utah Valley, who is a they say is a pretty good three-point shooter, uh, so he should help in that respect. And they are also said to be in on, and I have not heard anything yet, but supposedly in the next couple of days we should hear something, uh, R.J. Dennis, point guard from Toledo. If they can pick up him, that would just uh, that would take care of it as far as, uh, I, I think, uh, making this team fill out after the loss of Epps and Clark. Uh, now for the University of Missouri, they had one player drafted in the NFL draft. Defensive end Isaiah McGuire went in the fourth round to Cleveland. Uh, they did get a couple players on undrafted free agent deals. Um, now, as far as recruiting going, they boast this season the 33rd best recruiting class in all of college football, uh, which is ahead of Illinois. I think Illinois was like 45, something like that. Um, they picked up a, a, a bevy of uh, four-star recruits, a tight end Brent Norfleet, 6'7", 220, uh, who chose Mizzou over the likes of Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona State. He was also a D1 uh, basketball recruit, so he's got good hands, doesn't have field-stretching speed, but they said uh, he has a really good short immediate game and is a very good blocker. Wide receiver Joshua Manning, a 6'3", 190 uh, wide receiver, has good body size, uh, capable of running deep routes. Uh, they also got four-star safety Marvin Burke, 6'2", 190, from Cardinal Ritter, local kid. Um, he has the ability to play uh, play up as an extra linebacker, play the deep secondary, so he's pretty versatile. They picked up quarterback Jamar, Jabari Johnson, 6'2", 200 who's a dual threat, can beat you with both his legs and his arm. Uh, they picked up some beef on the line with offensive tackle Logan Reichert, a 6'3", 350-pound tackle uh, with a 6'10 wingspan. So he can take up some space, guys. Uh, a two-sport athlete, uh, as he also played basketball. I can't imagine a 6'6", 350-pound guy playing basketball. I mean, good, my God. Um but they say, even given his size, he can also play guard. So, good offensive line pickup for Mizzou. Uh, now, Coach Drinkwitz has been looking at the transfer portal well, picking up eight players. And uh, two names, I think, to note here are four-star transfer, and I'll have to check with Russ on this, but four-star transfer uh, from Eastern Michigan, Marcellus Johnson, a 6'7", 270-pound offensive tackle. Um, and a four-star transfer from Oklahoma in wide receiver Theo Weiss, 6-2-2-1. I think both are going to probably be have immediate impact on the Missouri uh, Missouri uh, football team. Uh, over on the hardwood, Dennis Gates has had some inside help coming in with 6'8", 180-pound power forward Trent Pierce from 
Chandler, Arizona. Uh, uh, excuse me, not Pierce. Yeah, Pierce. Uh, yeah. Over on the hardwood, Dennis Gates has had some inside help with coming with a 6'8", 180-pound power forward, Trent Pierce from Chandler, Arizona. Pierce chose Missouri over Florida, K-State, Oklahoma, and Illinois. He beat he beat Underwood on a, on a guy. Hey, imagine that. Uh, so I have to tell you, Gates has got his recruiting recruiting shoes going as well. Uh, the other is a seven footer, 190 pound, kind of slight, uh, but uh, Jordan Butler from Greenville, South Carolina. Good hands, high basketball IQ, but I think he's going to have to. He and the strength coach over at Mizzou are going to have to get together and put a little beef on that frame. Uh, they've also been uh, using the portal to their advantage uh, by picking up. Indiana's Tamar Bates, a uh, 6'4", 175-pound shooting guard. So things may be looking good uh, for both teams as far, or both those schools as far as football and basketball and recruiting. But like I said, we'll get into that with Russ a little bit more. Uh, one quick note I want to make on the transfer portal thing. I still think the NCAA is going to step in and try and close the barn door here, but or maybe not close the barn door, but at least control the flow. I don't think they will do too much right now since there's still players that are in that COVID year of eligibility that they've got to get worked through. But once they work that through, and I think once they see the numbers, if the numbers continue to stay high on transfers, I think they're going to end up having to do something um, just as a, I don't know, it, it just doesn't seem like it, it's, good for college basketball to have kids using it as a minor leagues of sort i just don't i mean we i know it's been that way for years i realize that i i realize that a lot of people say that the college basketball exists as a minor league but now you've got the g league now you've got the d league so i don't think that's an a valid argument anymore um so i think something's gonna have to be done eventually and it, it probably will but Nothing's going to be done, I think, with the transfer portal until they can control the NIL money. And I think that's the, that's the big thing right there. So uh, we're going to take a little bit of break here for an ad from the Wiley Group. Hello, this is Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleachers at Gateway City Sports. We all know how important it is to stay protected. Just like a quarterback stays protected in the pocket, you need to have the things in your life protected. Because we all know, sometimes life throws you a curve. And that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and much more. They offer a customized approach that is unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also have great rates savings so give sean and his team a call today 636-764-6294 again that's 636-764-6294 they'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone i mean that's how they roll folks even give them a call if you just want to talk sports maybe i should have them on the show someday with work and kids and social functions we all have busy lives so you can also email sean at Sean Wiley at Allstate.com. That's S-E-A-N-W-I-L-E-Y at Allstate.com. Talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Okay, now let's uh, finish this off. 
Meet me in St. Louis. Yes, sir. Well, the Cardinals have now won three series in a row, and they're facing off with the Dodgers today to win their fourth. As we're taping, I'm taping the podcast on the 21st Sunday morning. So, like the the interview with uh, Dana Shoptal was earlier in the week. I wanted to get this out earlier in the week, but I had some issues with uh, uh, just some other stuff going on. So, but anyway, uh, so they're going for their fourth series win in a row. You know, beating the Cubs two out of three, beating the Brewers two out of three, sweeping the Red Sox in Boston. Uh, this is a nice run. And we can't ignore that. We can't as much as as much as they had issues in in April. As much as they are in fourth place now by percentage points, we can't ignore that this is a nice run that they're on. Can they sustain this? If this offense stays the way it is clicking, with uh, Gorman, who last night uh, won the game for him with a three-run shot, his 13th home run and 39 R- 39th RBI of the year, and we're only in May. This is the middle of May, folks. He's got 13 home runs, 39 RBIs. If you portion that out, he's on track for 40 plus home runs and 100 and over 100 RBIs, 115, 120 RBIs. Uh, can he keep it up? I don't know. I don't know. I hope he can. But, you know, even if he slumps a little bit, he's still looking probably at 30 home runs, 90 RBIs. And there were some of you out there, and don't lie, because I can look up Facebook and find it, but there were some of you out there that wanted to trade him in the off season. You want to trade him now? Yeah, I know we could use pitching. But do you really want to trade that offense for pitching? Because the pitching night actually has picked up. It's not great. Don't I'm not trying to sugarcoat this and say the pitching is is fixed after the whole Contreras debacle, which I think maybe has led a little bit to this. Uh, I don't think not so much because of because Contreras was benched. Well, because he was benched, but not because of him, but because I think the pitching staff realized that hey, uh, we need to pick it up on our end. We're the ones causing this. So I think I kind of think what Daniel said. They had to do something, and outside of sitting down the entire pitching staff, which you could not do realistically in any way, shape, or form, you put the blame on somebody else. And then everybody says, "Oh, wait a minute! Uh, you know, we don't want to." No, no, it, it's our. And you saw how quick uh, Wainwright and Flaherty came to Contreras' defense. So hey, you know, we need to step it up. You know, and Adam included himself in that. He says, you know, he said, I, he, I think the quote was, he said, uh, I think everybody, if you ask everybody, every pitcher, every pitcher to a man, he said, with the possible exception of Jordan Montgomery, who's been good all year, we have all not done our job properly, or something to that effect. And he's right, he's right. And once this pitching staff gets solidified, and a big step, I think mean, Daniel and I talked about it uh, Tuesday was. Matthew Libertor coming up or doing something that's going to to push you know push the staff or or give us the staff a shot and Libertor did came up uh first you know, last game of the Brewer series and pitched very well um and they only went five five innings but they had him on a pitch count uh and but he did really well struck out like seven batters six seven batters walked out of there with the lead you know I, I 
you can't say enough about what the kid did. And uh, you know, people people don't understand. He's still a kid. This, this he's only he's he's same age as Gorman, or maybe a year older. He's only twenty three, twenty four. So you know, th- this idea. Yeah, we've heard about him for a long time, but heck, he was signed when he was eighteen, just like Gorman was. So you know, we've heard about him for a long time. I think now we're finally seeing the fruits of the labor. So now that a Rosarina trade, as much as people still want to harp on that oh if we only had randy a rosarina you know we can say that about a half a dozen ball players in the last well we can say about at least two or three players every year probably you know i mean you go back and look oh if we, if we hadn't uh, or let our garcia go or if we hadn't traded this guy or, or why did we trade yeah you know, everybody got upset years ago when they traded uh, Matt Adams, I, I couldn't think of his name, when they traded Matt Adams for uh, Juan Yepes. Well, right now, who's playing? Juan Yepes. Matt Adams, you don't hear of him. I don't even, I'm not even, I think he's still in baseball. I'm not sure where. I mean, he's not putting up any numbers that anybody's really saying, oh man, we miss him. You know, you can say that about a lot of guys. But you don't know what's going on until the until the the end of the trade. Now, yes, you can you can look at the Ozuna trade and say we we lost out, and you know in in some real effect we probably did. Uh, I mean, we did get two decent years out of Oz- out of Ozuna. If he had been healthy that first year or both years, we would have put up. Uh, well, that that second year he was on track for just hellacious numbers until he broke his hand but you can't injuries you can't figure in uh now did they buy uh, a damaged goods with ozuna when they got him that's possible and that's on mo if he was injured and if they knew he was injured when they got him that's on mo i'll give you that one let you have that 100 percent behind you and yes we gave up Al- uh, alcantara and galen Galen at the time, nobody thought was going to be that good of a pitcher. They figured he'd be a good major league, you know, fourth, fifth starter. Uh, nobody figured his, him to have the the uh, career he's having out in Arizona. Uh, and, and that's the one thing you have to also understand, that we traded Galen to Miami. They traded him to Arizona. So they didn't even really consider him part of their rotation. Alcantara, yes, he's turned, he's turned in the lights out. You know, and now we don't have Ozuna. They still have... Uh, Alcantara, uh, Arizona's doing quite well with Galen, so you know, yeah, we 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 came out on the short end of that one. I'll I'll, I'll give you that. You know, I don't see anybody though griping about the the Goldie trade now. I mean, we got Goldschmidt. Yeah, we gave up Carson Kelly. We gave up Luke Weaver. Nobody's griping about that. I don't see anybody shedding tears over the. Uh, amount of guys we gave to Colorado, the Montero and and uh you know they're doing a couple of guys are doing fairly well but not nothing like uh what we got for Arenado. You know, so you're going to have trades like that that are you're going to say what if we didn't trade this guy? Well, you know, it's like kind of like saying, well, what if we had gotten Bryce Harper a few years ago or Max Scherzer a few years ago? Well, would we be better off? Probably, maybe. But you also probably wouldn't have Nolan Arenado. You wouldn't have signed a Contreras, more than likely, because let's face it, and 
Call it what it is. Frugal, cheap. I don't care. Put a moniker on it. You, you, you decide your own moniker. The Cardinals, traditionally, even going back to uh, Gussie Bush, Cardinal ownership has never been one that has put a lot of big money into free agents. So to sit there and say, well, what if we had signed Trey Turner? Well, if we had signed Trey Turner, I'm going to tell you this right now, that lineup is awesome. We weren't going to sign Trey Turner. They were not going to pay, on top of what they're paying Goldschmidt and Arenado, they were not going to pay another $35 million a year player. Bank it. It is not going to happen. And as much as people want to sit there and bitch and gripe and moan and complain, oh, we don't spend money, we don't get these big, bright stars. Look at the free agent pitching market this last offseason. How many of those big, bright stars are doing anything? DeGrom, hurt. Verlander was hurt. He's not pitched very well. Yeah, you go on and down the list. Quintana, out. Rodon's not pitching well. You can look at every free agent pitcher that was signed for big money this year. None of them are living up to their contracts. So where does that put us? Yes, a couple of them probably might be better off than, than Matt's right now. Um, and I'm not saying Matt's is going to turn around. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't, don't read into that. But it, it just boggles my mind to think that, that, that we're going to gripe and bitch about what we don't have. Let's look at what we've got, okay? We've got Nolan Gorman, who is all... I mean, if, this, if he is not in the All-Star game, it's going to be because he collapsed. Because <laughs> right now, the way he's playing, he's going to be in the All-Star game. You've got, a Don, you've got Donovan playing very well. I don't see anybody griping about really him. Burleson, I'm still, as I told Daniel and talked with Dan, I still think he probably should should have stayed in, in the minors or maybe they should should have sent him down instead of Walker uh, or maybe with Walker, however you want to do it. I think bringing up Oscar Mercado, people forget that he had a really couple good years in Cleveland. And people were griping about that. Oh, we gave away Oscar Mercado. Well, they released him, folks, and we got him back. Guess what? I mean, you got to give a little bit of credit where credit is due. And you got to give criticism where criticism is due. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying most perfect. I, I, I think I outlined it pretty well. I have been upset with him and not addressing the pitching staff. Yes, there was a time we should have gone after Scherzer. When Scherzer said, I would like to pitch in St. Louis. You know, at that time, we didn't have a lot of big-name free agents. He sh- we should have went. We should have jumped. I'm going to agree with, with uh, a couple guys at Gateway. I'm going to agree with Brian Swope and, and, and uh, Mike Stevenson. We should have jumped. When uh, uh, Scherzer said, I would like to pitch in St. Louis, Moe should have said, oh, come on over. Let's talk about it. I'm sure there could have been a deal worked out. Yeah, there's deals like that they should have jumped on. And then there's deals I'm glad they didn't make. As much as people are saying, oh, why did we not pick up Soto? Where's San Diego at? And look at all the damn all-stars. Look at all the millions of dollars of contracts they got. And where are they at? And I'm going to tell you this. I said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Before it's all said and done, I think Jordan Walker is going to be a bigger story than Juan Soto. I know. I know what you're saying. Don, are you nuts? What are you smoking? I'm looking at it. And I'm seeing that Soto is not a be-all, end-all player. He's a good hitter. I'm not denying that. He can hit. The kid can hit. I am not sold on his defense. I'm not sold on his base running. 
which is, I think is where Walker is ahead of him, or will be ahead of him very soon. I think Walker is more of a five-tool five player than Soto is, and that's what I'm basing my, my feelings on. I think what we're going to see with some of these young pitchers we got, like Tink Hintz, McGreevy, Libertor, I think we're going to start seeing some fruits, fruits to the labor there. Uh, doesn't mean I don't want to go out and get a, a, a number one ace if we can grab one somewhere this offseason, or even if somebody's selling one. You know, well, we talked about Dylan Chase earlier. We, there's a couple other guys that I think could be huge upgrades for this pitching staff and still be able to, to hold on to a couple of good, good young arms that can come in and give us some help. But anyway, so that's, that's my thought. I think the Cardinals still have the shot of making that division. Like I said, only five games out now. And, uh, you know, we've already, I think we're starting to prove ourselves that we can compete with the big boys now, uh, or at least the, the teams ahead of us. I shouldn't say the big boys, but the teams ahead of us. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the St. Louis sports scene in itself. I mean, if you look at what's been going on with the Cardinals and then you look at the Blues season, which was pretty disappointing for a lot of people, uh, the Battlehawks had a really good run, didn't make the playoffs. But I want to tell you what, this city soccer team, those guys are they are making a name for themselves. They're making something out of, of the St. Louis scene. I mean, they're, they're energizing that St. Louis sports scene, if you will. Uh, right now, they're third place. They beat uh, Kansas City yesterday 4 to nothing at home. They're third place. Klaus still leads the team with five goals. Uh, Eduard Lowen leads the team with five assists. And here's a, an interesting goalkeeper Roman Berkey has 52 saves for an 80% save percentage. 80%. That's pretty good goalkeeping right there. Uh, they're only getting an average of one goal per game scored against them. Uh, that's that's good. They're ninth in attendance, averaging twenty two thousand four hundred twenty three in the in the five or six home game. Well, it was five home. I don't have the attendance from last yesterday's game, but uh, which is you think of, that's a sellout every night pretty much because they're the capacity at City Park is twenty two thousand five hundred. So they pretty much sell the place out every night. They are putting the St. Louis sports scene on the map, and kudos to them. Kudos to the ownership. Um, so anyway. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, that's going to do it for me. If you uh, like the show, I'm still kind of getting uh, my contacts put together for this new uh, hosting service. But if you like the show, let me know on Twitter at TSOTBGCS, or you can go to GatewayToCitysports.com and leave some comments there. You can uh, uh, go to Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and uh, I think you can leave comments there still. Um, also check out my articles at gatewaycitysports.com uh, I'm also thinking about I'm a, I got rid of my website I had to uh, but I'm thinking about me doing either another website or a Facebook page so I'll have some of that probably next couple shows from now so and then, until next time stay safe have some fun and we'll see you again when we can talk sports on the bleachers <laughs> Thanks again for joining us, and you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.